So I found a book on my iPad and it was a free book, As a Man Thinketh by James Allen. And I hadn't read since school because I was diagnosed dyslexic. So therefore I thought there was no point. So I picked up this book that's got about 40 pages in it. And it took me about three weeks to read it to understand it. But every night I would go to bed and I would read a page and I would read it again and again and again. And it kept telling me the same thing. We are what we think. And I had this massive bingo moment. And that is, holy crap, I can change what I think. I'm not who I think. I'm not everything I think. And it just, that hit me like this realisation of, you know, thoughts are just thoughts. They're only something if we go with them and make something out of them. Three, two, one. Welcome to the Mind for Life podcast. The Mind for Life podcast. Where your thinking can change your life. And now, here's your host, Jeff Bogazic. What's up, everybody? Once again, welcome to the Mind for Life podcast, where I am your host, Jeff Bogazic, and we talk about all things related to how you think and how that affects your life. We have a very special guest today. His name is Stephen Webb. And when it comes to adversity and obstacles in life, I think there are very few people who have been through as much as Stephen has. At seven years old, his parents went through a messy divorce. At 12, his grandfather, to whom he was very close, committed suicide. At 17 years old, he attempted suicide himself. As an adult, he had a long-term partner with whom he brought up his stepdaughter, started his own business, and then three years later had to declare bankruptcy. He was cheated on and eventually hit what he calls rock bottom. But none of those things were as difficult as what happened to him when he was 18 years old. One night while swimming with some friends, Stephen ended up severely paralyzed. I'll let Stephen tell that story in the interview. But in the past few years, Stephen has overcome so many obstacles and now is what he calls a peace of mind coach, helping people all over the world to overcome their most difficult problems and find peace of mind for themselves. He's written two books, The Moving Road and Five Secret Practices You Need for Peace of Mind. We're excited to have him on the program. We're going to get to the interview in just a second. But before we do, let me mention a couple of things to you. First of all, let me read our review of the week. It comes from Mrs. Melanie Turk. She says, this podcast is fantastic. It has great insight, incredible guests, and is easy to listen to. Well, I appreciate that. And I would like to thank Melanie Turk for leaving such a nice review. And if you would like to leave a review, head on over to iTunes, subscribe to the Mind for Life podcast, rate us, review us, and we will read that review right here on 
the program. Second of all, let me mention our show sponsors, Bluehost.com. If you're looking for a web hosting provider, Bluehost is the leading web solution services provider founded in 2003. They've continually innovated new ways to deliver on their mission, which is to empower people just like you and me to fully harness the web. They provide all of the tools necessary so that anybody, novice or pro, can get on the web and thrive. So if you're looking for Hosting for a website, podcast, blog, or whatever, I would encourage you to check out Bluehost.com. There's a link on our site where you get $3.95 a month hosting. Uh, Right at the bottom of the homepage, click on that Bluehost link, and there's a great deal there. Also, the show notes for this program will be at mindforlife.org slash 027. Click over there and get all of the notes, the books, the links, and everything that we talk with Stephen about on this program. I also want to encourage you to check back at some of our earlier programs. We've been doing Five on Friday, which is a five-minute reflection on a particular topic. This last week, we talked about possibility, the attitude of possibility. It's an inspiring thing, something I've learned incredibly in my own life, and so I hope you will listen to that and take advantage of that as well. And let's get right into our interview today with Stephen. All right, Stephen, it is so, so great to have you on the program with us today. And just for our listeners, um, I was kind of scouring through the internet, and I came across one of your videos. It was an, a very inspirational, positive video. And I was like, wow. And actually, I think it might have been on Twitter uh, where I was looking through your stuff and I saw this very inspirational, positive video stood out to me. And I got a chance then to explore a little bit deeper and read a little bit about your story. And to me, it was just really amazing uh, to see what you were doing, what you were saying and especially considering the circumstances and the things in your life. And so that's something that really is important for us to explore. And so if you would, for our audience, just share a little bit uh, with them about yourself and where you've come from and what you've gone through uh, so that they can have a little context as we talk uh, further. Yeah, yeah, I'm Stephen, and yeah, coming to my early early 40s now, so I've got quite a lot of life to go through. Um. The best thing really to start with me and the most significant thing is when I was 18, I broke my neck and well, picture this, it was one of these evenings and you meet up with your friends and you go out and we decided to go swimming late one evening and we'd done it many times that summer, but this one one particular night I climbed up on top of the wall and been a typical teenage male, it's actually called um, the male macho diving syndrome. So, you, you know, you get a few girls together and the guy's got to show off, hasn't he? So on this particular night, I, I climbed to the top of the wall. I walked all the way along. And I'd done it many times before, but this time I dived in and I hit the bottom hard. And instantly I knew something was wrong because I couldn't move anything. I felt the pain on top of my head. I thought I broke my arms because I couldn't. So there I was lying on the bottom of the pool thinking, you know, something seriously is up here. And it was like, it wasn't like a gradual thing. It was instantly, I couldn't feel or move any of my body. After a few minutes, I had an experience that perhaps we'll touch on later on. 
it, it was an experience that took me like 20 years to explain and after I hit my rock bottom at 40. But going back to that night, my friends pulled me out of the pool. They got me to hospital via the ambulance. It took the ambulance two hours to get to hospital. It was only it was only a journey of less than a mile. Oh my! But because I I kept um, I don't know what you call it going under. I I kept uh, my heart stopping, and they kept on having to. So it was really eventful getting to the hospital. I was kind of in and out of consciousness, and then. So they got me to hospital. They operated on. <laughs> I remember later that night, they moved me to theatre to put these pins into my head, so they could keep my neck straight. Okay. And in in doing so, they put a board below my back, and I can remember being very unpolite to the surgeons because it was the first time for hours I didn't feel pain. Um, so I can remember basically telling them in not so many words to disappear. I'm right now. Um, but yeah, that was, that was the main start of 12 months of hospital and rehab. Um, and with that six months lying on the bed, there were so many things that happened to me that I think at 18 years old, you don't normally experience that kind of seeing life in that way. And I'll give you one example. Um, two days after the injury, I was flown to a special spinal unit. And that night, my I just took a turn for the worst. And I could hardly breathe. I didn't think I was that poorly. When, when you're the one being poorly and people can see from the outside, you're really ill. But you don't realise how bad you really are. So the, the consultant at the time was like, we've we got to put a tracheotomy in. Because they had to clear my lungs. Yeah. So they come over to me. And you can imagine a surgeon coming over and saying, look, Stephen, you know, you're not very well. And we've got to put a tube in your throat. And we've got to, like, cut a hole in your neck. And I was like, no, you're not. <laughs> I'm, I, 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 I'm fine. Give me a couple of days. I'll be walking out of here, you know. Um, complete denial. Complete denial. And because I refused for so long, and for so many hours and because i was 18 my parents could not overrule it so my parents were frantically trying to get a judge to overrule me so they got the judge out of bed and he was reading through the case and then in the end mr tromans which was the consultant at the time came over and said look Stephen, we got to do this you know i'm no longer waiting for any decision i'm making a decision you die or we do this and did you think at that time that it was that dire? Did you no. did you know that? No, no, no. I, I I was still, you know, I was paralyzed. I couldn't move. But you're kind of in and out of sleep. Your body's going through so much shock that it kind of shuts down. Mm -hmm. Um, so he came over and without putting me to sleep or anything because I was that poorly, they started to try to put this tracheotomy in me. Mm -hmm. And although I had braces on my head, I had a 15 pound weight hanging off the top of my head to keep my spine straight. They, I was still able to fidget a little bit and I didn't help them at all. So it was just going badly wrong. They could not get a tube in. I had no anesthetic. In the end, they rushed me to theater. They put it in. But then I woke up the next day and I couldn't speak. 
So, you know, I was lying in bed 200 miles away from home. I was 18 years old and the closest people I had to me was my parents. And at 18, you don't really want your parents around you all the time and doing all right. these things. But yeah, it. and I woke up and I couldn't speak. And suddenly it really dawned on me that how serious it was. Mm-hmm. I, I could communicate for about three months just tutting. So it was one tut for yes, one tut for no. And I can remember they, after a while, after about 12 weeks, they put like something on top of the tracheotomy that enabled me to bypass it to bring the air up over my vocal cords. Okay, yep. And I could only really manage one or two words at a time. And my parents were home by this time. They were coming up every weekend. And and I can remember just wanting to phone my mum. And I remember phoning her. And it was literally, the conversation was like, hello, how? And it was so forced for me just to get out of those words. But just to be able to communicate, just to be able to um, have an ability of speaking suddenly becomes so important. Right. Um, you take you take that for granted oh, until all of a sudden it's gone. Oh, we take everything for granted, and I still do now. You know. Yeah. Um, it's it's that awareness of bringing it back. You know, I never once got out of bed when I was um, fourteen, fifteen years old. I thought, ah, yeah, I can shower myself. <laughs> I can walk <laughs> to the shower. I got out of bed and it was like, oh, damn, it's freezing. I don't want to get up. My legs are aching. <laughs> you know, that's life. You, you know, we cannot all go around in this blissful joy of, yeah, I can walk. Yeah, I can see. You know, right. that's unrealistic too. But there's one other story I want to share over that um period in hospital because i had a lot of time to think while i was lying in bed and that was after about six months they got me out of bed for the first time i was still in denial i thought you know no get me out of bed for an hour two hours i'll be fine and they said and they said no we'll get you out of bed for 15 minutes and i tell you what you'll sleep for 24 hours i was like no i won't i'll be fine get me out of bed well they got me out of bed it took about two hours to do it they put me in the wheelchair and they wheeled me outside for the first time in six months. You still had like all the gear on, no, keeping you straight and everything? No, that came off by that time. I had a okay. neck, neck brace on. Okay. Um, and although I was, I felt like I sat up, it was quite lied back in a chair. And, um, and I was wheeled outside for the first time and I felt the cold air on my face. And it was like, oh my God, I'm alive. I wasn't bothered about being paralyzed. I wasn't bothered about all the other things in life. It was just a moment of absolute clarity and mindful. I was there. I was present. Right to this day that I can explain everything that went on that moment. Mm -hmm. Um, But it does give you, when you're lying in bed by yourself for a long time, it gives you a lot of time of thought. I used to see the other patients that broke their necks and broke their back, broke their backs. They used to come and go and they used to enjoy themselves on a spine unit. And I wanted that life not to be Mm -hmm. paralyzed. I kind of realized that I, I, 
you know, it has happened. But I didn't want to lie in bed anymore. You know, I wanted to mess around. <laughs> it sounds wrong, but mess around with the nurses and things like that. I wanted to get out and party. I wanted to have a drink. Right. So even then, I wanted to get on in my life, whatever it entailed. Um, so I came home after about 12 months. Very different person, really. Um, someone that loved life. Someone that... Um, I tried to get back with my friends and things like that, but they seen life completely different to me. Um, right. They that they were still eighteen years old, they were still partying, they were still doing their things, and although I was doing that, I just had this real respect for life. Hey, we're alive, mm-hmm. and not just existing. Yeah. Um, but then. Really, adulthood took hold. You know, I had partners, I had relationships. I I then got my long-term partner. I was with her for 12 years. Um, I brought up her stepdaughter from the age of four. Um, she's 20 now, doing amazing. She's only just moved out. And we almost forget to be mindful. We almost forget that we're alive and we just go through the process day right. in and day out. Um, Did you find that uh, okay? So here's here's an, a question I have for you. You you experience this moment of when everything kind of becomes clear, right? You you realize, and all of a sudden you have an, an appreciation. Did you notice that then afterwards, for a period of years, you seem to start lapsing back into that same mindset? Uh, is was that the case? And why do you think if it was? Why is that? It's so when we have this moment of clarity, it really comes from the human side, the, the neocortex of the front of our brain. Um, the subconscious mind drives us 99% of the time, habits. Right. And we're completely unaware, we're driven by. I, someone once said, we're a sum of our habits. And that is what we are. So, you just get into this routine and you have no idea you're in the routine, but you have no idea there's a way out of the routine because you think that's life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, the only moments of clarity really up until my rock bottom of 40 was when either things went very badly wrong or things went very good. Otherwise, it was just normal. Right. Um, and whenever we look back over anything, it really is those real highs and those real lows that we remember that kicks us out of this normality, this habit. Right. Um, and it is so hard and takes so much practice, which we'll probably discuss shortly, to try to break out of these habits, to try to come right. back to the mindful, to be real. Okay. Um, I was going to say, uh, I want you to talk more about that because that is so huge uh, for me and for our podcast. But before we do, talk about you were, were moving towards your rock bottom moment. So, you, I mean, if, if what you had already experienced in your life had not been the rock bottom moment, 
you talk a little bit about what happens next. So go into that a little bit, if you would. Yeah, the the rock bottom moment, I didn't see it coming. It was, it's strange because, you know, I had a lot happen to me before my accident. I, I took an overdose. Um, it was more of an attention overdose and I'm glad it failed. I'm glad it was one of the things that failed in my life. Um, I had a bankruptcy, my business failed, and I had a partner cheating on me. But none of those caused my rock bottom. It was when I'd been seeing someone for 18 months and I put every single piece of happiness into our future, into her hands as well as. And I seen my whole blissful life ahead of me you know, we were going to get married. We were going to settle down. No more courting. No more hassles. You know, it, my life was perfect. Right. And suddenly I got this text in the morning. Or I, I messaged and said, you know, you don't reply to me like you used to. And I got the dreadful text that said, I'm not sure what I want. And it was, you know, above and beyond the other things in life. It was like. Oh my God, it just knocked me for six. Right. I, I knew what it meant. You, you know, that there was no disguise you know. in it. And, and that day she came and picked up her things and left. It left me completely numb, empty, nothing. And at the point that I thought I would never feel anything again, good or bad, I had no fears. I had nothing. I was just so rock bottom. Wow. And for about probably 10, 20 days, I was just an existing zombie. I, I don't know how else to explain it. But then something shifted and then you get mad and you get angry. And then all the questions creep in, you know, million questions why why do they do this i i bought them this meal this once why can they do this mm -hmm. to me i'm perfect you know they'll never get anybody like me so all the madness all the crazy thoughts come in and i had to shut them down because they were stopping me sleeping they were stopping me living they were stopping me and at that point i started drinking <laughs> and I call it my alcoholic for two weeks but every night I would drink Southern Comfort just to go sleep mm -hmm. and it wasn't a lot but I but something made me aware after two weeks that it wasn't working and it was a dangerous slip I was going down right so I found a book on my iPad and it was a free book As a Man Thinketh by James Allen and I hadn't read since school because I was diagnosed dyslexic. So therefore I thought there was no point. Right. So I picked up this book that's got about 40 pages in it. And it took me about three weeks to read it, to understand it. But every night I would go bed and I would read a page and I would read it again and again and again. And it kept telling me the same thing. We are what we think. Mm -hmm. And I had this massive bingo moment and that is holy crap i can change what i think i'm not who i think i'm not everything i think mm -hmm. and it just that hit me like 
this realization of, you know, thoughts are just thoughts. They're only something if we go with them and make something out of them. Right. So that, that started my journey of reading books, looking up stuff. Um, instead of having um, a Buddha around my house, I studied it, looked at it. Um, I found out about the Siddhartha story, which is the original Buddha that we call. And I started meditating. Um, every book said, meditate, meditate. And I was like, mm-hmm. I, I can't do that. My brain ain't going to switch off for that. Right. You know, I tried it when I was 27 because I thought it might get me a girlfriend. <laughs> it, it lasted about two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I persevered with it because every book cannot be wrong. Right. Um and fair enough when two or three people tell you something. But, you know, if you ask 10 people if it's raining outside and nine of them tell you it is, you've kind of got to go with a nine. Yeah. So at that point, okay, I cannot be the one that's right and all these books wrong. Right. So they're all telling me I can meditate. So I started to do that and I started to become aware of my thoughts. I started to become aware of the moment now. And it's it just opened me up to that there's so much more to living than just habits. I, right. I realized even coming out from my rock bottom, I was then jumping straight into the habit of thinking. Okay. Those two weeks that I had no feeling, ironically, were the most mindful two weeks i had because i wasn't anywhere else i was just here all the time right and, and it now, was do you pr- uh okay so how did you get okay obviously there's a there's a moment of clarity for you right for you to be able to start but and and how long did it take is there a a process of training your mind or training your thoughts to direct in a certain way so that you become more mindful so that you don't operate based on habit so that you can become more self-aware and aware of the moment and more kind of present in what's going on. How does that take place? How did that happen with you? And how can our listeners get to that point so you know we all walk through life like you said just operating all of this stuff goes on in the subconscious mind we're not aware of it what can be done how did it work with you well first thing we got to separate the difference between being mindful and meditation Mm -hmm. meditation is like going to the gym for the athlete okay and the the, the mindful is taking part, is the running. For me, the the mindful part wasn't part of it at all. I used meditation okay. because I got fed up with my mind thinking things I didn't want to think. So I come to the realization that I cannot stop it thinking this stuff up, but I can choose to go with the thought. And that's what meditation gave me now then the the big myth about meditation is that whenever people start it they want to stop thinking 
They want to have that lovely peace and tranquility sitting down there. But the reality is your mind is designed to think. Mm-hmm. It's evolved over three and a half million years to think, to keep us alive, to protect us. You're not going to change. You're not going to be the one person to change its what it's designed to do. But what meditation does is gives us the ability to become aware of our thoughts and to bring it back to the present moment. Now, then, the the actual fruit in the meditation isn't the sitting there with the gaps. It isn't the sitting there with the two or three minutes or well 30 seconds of no thinking it's the returning to the breath it's the returning all the time and that returning opens up a neuro pathway in your mind that you can bring to every day Mm -hmm. so it's it's the awareness so when you're sitting in meditation and you sit and you take a few breaths and you're going i'm breathing in and i'm breathing out I'm breathing in. Oh, let's go and have a look on Facebook. Let's pretend we're walking on a beach. Let's, oh, I want this for tea. And why the hell haven't they done that for me recently? And then you suddenly jump in. Ah, I'm supposed to be on my breath. So you smile and go, let's go back to my breath. I was thinking. And then you'll breathe for about five or six times, and then you'll go back to something else the subconscious mind thinks is incredibly important in that moment. Like, did you remember to pick up the right, ice It just cream? happens to pop up, right? And, and it constantly pops up in your mind. But that's life. You, you know, subconscious mind is there to keep you going through the day. So what the meditation done for me is it gave, It started building a neuro pathway to return to the present moment, to okay. to recognize when I was somewhere else. Right. So now if I'm walking the dog, I'll be thinking about tea or thinking about a council meeting I've got or something like that. And I realize there's nothing I can do in that moment. It might be something I'm worried about the future, some past event that I want to be back at or recreate. And then we realize, ah, no, we're walking the dog. That's a nice tree. Nice weather. And it just eases all the anxiety. It eases all the worry. Because there's very seldom we can do anything about what we're thinking about. Right. And if we can, we don't have to worry about it because we can sort it out. <laughs> yeah. Do you... Uh, so that's very difficult for people. I mean, it's very difficult... From my own personal experience, when you have all of these worries or anxieties about things, you know, you're constantly thinking and what's got to be done and what am I going to do? And most of the time, at least for me, that that happens usually at night when I'm trying to go to sleep. You know, when mm-hmm. you're laying down and you're you're thinking, okay, I'm going to go to sleep, all of a sudden these things just start rushing through your brain. Yeah. Do you find that the practice, uh, do, you, do you, I would like to maybe make the... Um, Make the analogy, it's kind of like uh, lifting weights or strengthening a muscle. You're strengthening your mind. Does it get easier to be able to come back and to be able to, like, you know, clear out all the fog and really be able to focus? It does get easier, but you don't overly notice it. One of the things with meditation, a lot of people, including myself and everybody I know, 
when they when they read it in a book to do this meditation or they'll hear me on here say go and do meditation so they'll go and sit down and they'll go okay i'm going to do what stephen says and then they're expecting some kind of thing to happen expecting some kind of change and initially you don't even see the change you don't even do it and the first thing you'll notice is you think a whole lot more so then you think meditation don't work for me I've just mm-hmm. sat down to not think, and I I think more than anybody. And that happens every time we go back. You put your head on the pillow, and you go, okay, quieten down, and then your mind jumps into overdrive. Right. Absolutely. But there's one, there's one thing that you cannot do, and that's you cannot think about two things at once. Mm-hmm. You cannot literally think about... Um, how is my body feeling or how is my ankle feeling and think about that you've got to write a paper for next week at school or you've got Mm -hmm. to pay a bill you'll flip between the two right um and then we get annoyed by the thought that we don't want because we want the thought we do want so the big thing is to never be annoyed by the subconscious mind it's just doing what it does so yeah. thank him for the thought. If it's a ridiculous thought, laugh at it. <laughs> you know, play with it. it your, your subconscious mind is like the best analogy I've ever heard is in the Chimp Paradox book. I don't know if you ever read it, but the, it says the subconscious mind is like a chimp and it gets mad, it gets angry, it's got all the emotions, it doesn't listen, it doesn't care. And it will just think anything up. And Jack Cornfield said it's like a puppy. And he has this wonderful analogy that, you know, you don't get mad with a puppy for being a puppy. You mm-hmm. just gently put it back on its mat and say, stay, I'm doing this. And then when it right. comes to you again, you gently put it back on its mat. And we get so annoyed by our thoughts lying down at bed, banging our head against the pillow and come on just shut down for a minute i just want to go sleep one of the one of the problems with and you bring up sleep is we're not trained to go to sleep we're not taught how to do it we go to bed and we hope we fall asleep (laughs) (laughs) and and we get annoyed when we don't but but we very seldom prepare for sleep we very seldom go, well, what, what? something I found out is sleep is a skill. And I wish someone had taught me this at school. But I I found out there's, there's certain things you can do, including the thinking, including the thing. And you can train yourself to fall asleep when you choose to. So, you know, I'll give you a perfect example. I was lying in bed last night. And I've got something overly on my mind at the moment. And it's okay. I wish it would go, but it's okay because it is. And I went to sleep and my dog woke me up about midnight. And I found it quite hard to go straight back to sleep. So I lied there and I just counted my breaths down from 100. And all the time I thought, I wonder if I'll get to one. Mm -hmm. So, So I breathed in. 99, breathed out, 98. Breathed in, 97, breathed out, 96. 
And I remember thinking about 78 that I'm going to get to number one. <laughs> and I woke up this morning, never remember in the 60s. <laughs> and, it, and it really is. But we're often told to imagine something in our mind. Imagine counting sheep and things like that. And that's so hard to do because right. it's, it's, it requires the brain to be active. Yep. So you want something it can focus on, but really easy to do. Real easy to do. So just counting breaths. Just counting breaths. Just counting breaths. I, um, I would challenge anybody to get to number one. <laughs> to challenge any, that's the challenge. Get to number one. And if you get to number one, then go back up, right? Yeah. How has... How has your thinking changed when you talk about, uh, or when we want to talk about thinking about your circumstances? You know, one of the one of my favorite philosophers is Viktor Frankl. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Man's Search for Meaning. He wrote. He was in the concentration camps, and you know, he was able to really change his perspective about his circumstances. And you know, his famous quote is, "It's not what happens to us, but how we respond or how we think about that." So, how has your thinking changed about your circumstances? What 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 was the journey that you went through to be able to think differently? A lot of people in your circumstances in life might have a different perspective, might have a victim mentality. What changed for you and, and how did that happen? Yeah, I have heard of Viktor Frankl and I've, I've read most of his book and he is absolutely right. When it comes down to... Sure, sure. It's not what happens to us, it's how we respond. And I, and I think that is... It probably sums up nearly everything in my life now. And it is how we bounce back. You know, I had the rock bottom. It's what do I do with it? And the, the one good thing about an absolute rock bottom is you have no choice. When you are so low that there's nowhere else to go, you have no choice. You have that gift of the floor. And at that point, it's what you're going to do about it. And everybody can come along and... They can stroke your little ego as been a victim. They can go, you know, right? yes, you, you, you're having a really hard time and I can see where you're coming from. But you really want that person to come along that will give you the straight advice, that will be there for you and give you the space to find your way out. And it... Very often I think, well, what advice would I have liked when I broke my neck? Someone coming along. And the one piece of advice I think I would have really liked, and I would have hated the person at a time, but I would have, you know, loved him for years afterwards if he had. And that is, great, you broke your neck, but what are you going to do right. about it? Because you're there. It, you know, the moment anything's happened... It's too late to do anything about it. At that very point, you've got a chance to respond to it. And that goes mm -hmm. back to also the meditation and the mindfulness and bringing it to the day. And anybody can be calm, yeah. compassionate, understanding, and respond brilliantly while they're sat on a cushion. That That's not where the reward is. That's not what you're there on the cushion for. 
you're on the cushion for the rest of the day, the rest of the, for when things occur, that you've got that little bit of gap. <laughs> if you're present, if you're aware of what's going on around you, you don't jump, you're not shocked, and you're ready to respond, as opposed to, oh my God, what just happened? I cannot believe this is happening to me. Because the subconscious mind will always take everything personally. The human will come online four hours later and go, yeah, I know it wasn't about me, and I know they didn't mean it, and they know, and I shouldn't have said what I said. The meditation and the bringing it to present stops us waiting four hours to realize it wasn't about us. Right. Because it very seldom is about us. It's nearly, it's <laughs> nearly everything everybody does is about them or, you know, everything we right. do is about us. <laughs> we think it's about us. For them, it's about them. Yeah. Isn't that funny? And everything we do is about us. Right. You know, like, it's, it, I think it's a very, uh, how would I say it? I think it's a big step of awareness, maybe in maturity to be able to put yourself in someone else's shoes, you know, to, because we often respond, uh, like you said, subconsciously, it's about me. Look what they did to me. And, uh, to be able to kind of step outside of yourself and at least look at the situation objectively is one thing, but to be able to try to fit yourself into their side and say, what are they seeing? You know, how are they seeing? What, why? It gives us a, a greater opportunity to maybe understand their actions, because in a lot of cases, we would do the same thing if we were them. You know, and so being able to do that, and I think when you talk about the meditation, bringing yourself back to the present can really help to be able to put you in that perspective. And that I think that would be a, a huge, huge step. Um, we're running out of time, and I want to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about your blog, a little bit about your books, and where our listeners can find you. I know you have some uh, videos and stuff like that, so if you would... Uh, tell a little bit about your books, your blog, your videos, what you're doing there and where our listeners can access that. That would be great. Yeah, about three years ago, I wrote The Moving Road, which was a goal-setting book. This was, uh, I'd been reading loads of things and I started setting goals myself and it was the problems I was encountering getting them. So I set out and wrote that. That was the first book. It's on Kindle on Amazon. And then I started to establish what I really did. And I wasn't a goal setter. I wasn't um, a person that would help people achieve their goals. I realized that whenever someone came to me for help, I helped them find a little clarity, a little peace of mind, a little bit of, ah, in life. So that's when I become the peace of mind coach. It just suddenly come to me one day, you know, everybody says I give them peace of mind. So... That's what I do now. So my current project, and I've just I've just wrote the five secret practices you need for peace of mind. And this is a free download. You can get it from fivesecretsbook.com. And it's really quite a short book with not too much fluff or anything like that. And it's just five simple practices that we can do every day to give us a little bit of peace of mind. Um and incidentally, number two is how to sleep. Uh-huh. How so we, we already got one of them. Up. 
Yeah, you already got one of them. We got one of them. And we don't. We don't want to. We don't want to give away all the secrets because we want people no. to go get the book. But but sleep is something that very few people think of when it comes to peace of mind and when it comes to all the other things. Um, but yeah, my big project at the moment is I've got a webinar coming up, and that is that is how we can find calmness and peace and get rid of some of this stress and anxiety without resorting to medi medication and loads of therapists and all the other things. Because we can, we do know our best way. Just sometimes we need to be pointed in the right direction. Uh, the link, I'm assuming you have a link on your website and you give us your website so everybody can know and where the link is for the webinar if they're interested. It's a free web, it's a free webinar. Yeah. Um, it's stephenweb.com, spelled with a V. Um, you know, you can get the book from that page or fivesecretsbook.com. Um, catch me on Twitter, The Moving Road. Um, Facebook, The Peace of Mind Coach. Um, yeah, look forward to hearing from some of you guys. Excellent. Well, hey, you have been a great inspiration uh, to me personally, and it has been a incredible joy and an honor to talk with you. And I appreciate you being on here. You shared so much, so valuable. And I feel like we have a kindred spirit in the things that we're talking about because everything you just talked about is things that are just huge and important to me. And so I appreciate you coming on and being with us today. Thank you so much. Absolutely. My pleasure. All right. I want to give you my top takeaways from our interview today with Stephen Webb, the Peace of Mind Coach. First of all, I am so inspired by the way Stephen has handled the adversities in his life. And the key insight was realizing that we can change our thinking, that we don't have to be bound by the things that have happened to us in the past, the adversities, the obstacles, the challenges that have hit us and in some cases knocked us down. But we can change the way we think. We can be mindful about our lives bring ourselves back to the present moment and move forward. And Stephen is such an inspiration for me. And I hope that you took that away from our interview as well. And the second thing that I learned from talking with Stephen is to never give up. You know, you might have thought it was bad for him when his parents got divorced at seven. You might have thought when his grandfather committed suicide. You might have thought when he was paralyzed that he would have given up. You might have thought that when his long-term partner left him, that he would have given up. Well, what I learned from Stephen is that we can persevere. We can press on. That obstacles and challenges can sideline us, but they don't have to devastate and destroy us. And so maybe there are things that have happened in your life, things that have been outside of your control, that have got you sidelined, that maybe have been discouraging or devastating to you. And I want to say, you don't have to let those things destroy you. If Stephen can get up and move forward and go on with life and become a productive member of society and help other people and invest in other people's life and do something great, you can too. So don't let the challenges, the obstacles, the setbacks in your life derail you and destroy your future. Step up, Believe in the possible and move forward. 
Well, that's all for today. Thank you so much for listening to this program. We appreciate it. Again, the show notes are located at mindforlife.org slash 027. Stop on over to iTunes, rate and review our program, and we will talk to you next time. Mm